This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. What a great truth. The, the wind and the waves that we'll read about in the passage we're studying this morning, they, they know his name. The wind and the waves in your life, they know his name. Just take a moment and prepare our hearts to hear from his word, soaking in that truth. Let's pray. So Jesus, we read in your scriptures about times when you hushed the waves at just a mere whisper. And Father, I pray that you'd remind us this morning that whatever storms we may face in life, whatever we may be walking in this morning, that you would remind us that you're bigger than it. Lift our, lift our eyes above it, please. And help us see the way that not only you're present, but also help us see the way that you are at work, the way that you're good in the midst of every season of life that we find ourselves in. It's in your powerful, beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen. My, my kids, all, all three of them, love art. They're all artists. I'm sure they'll grow out of it, but they are right now artists. Just kidding. I hope that they don't, but um, it tends to happen. We have this one sort of art piece though, at, at our home where um, what they do is they squirt um, paint onto this piece of paper that's on a spinny wheel, and you push a little lever underneath, and um, the paint that, turned, that started out as a blob turns into a beautiful piece of artwork. Anybody seen these? Or you squirt the paint in, it starts out as a blob, and then you push the little thing and it starts to spin around. And, and as it spins, the paint disperses into um, an arguably beautiful pattern. As I was reading our passage of Scripture, Acts 27 this morning, and if you have a Bible, you can start to turn there. Uh, what I see happening in the Apostle Paul's life is a similar phenomenon. You may have experienced it in your life as well. That sometimes God uses difficult seasons in life to, to spin us around, and the result of those, the result of that, that shaking from the hand of God or something he allows to happen in our life is a beautiful piece of art. Let, let's all agree, though, at the onset that we hate this, okay? We do, don't we? I mean, this is a difficult thing to walk through. Nobody likes to be shaken like this. Nobody just in our natural being goes, you know what? Thank you for the storm. Thank you for the trial. I'll pray. There's, God has to do something in our hearts and our lives to make us and cause us to respond this way. Every single one of us in here, though, we're going to walk through seasons of life that are a shaking or, or a storm like we're going to read about in the Apostle Paul's life this morning in Acts chapter 27. Every single one of us will walk through them. The question is, will we walk through storms in a way that produces something in us or in a way that takes something from us? And our approach to that at the onset will be what determines what comes from that storm. Uh, we're going to jump into Acts chapter 27, and, and as you can clearly see from this map... Um, the Apostle Paul starts in Caesarea, and he's going to travel throughout the entire chapter. He's going to travel, and he's going to end up over in Malta by the end of the chapter. It's quite the journey. And on the way, he's heading to Rome like he um, dreamed about doing to, in order to preach the good news of the gospel. But he's going to Rome, I don't think, in a way that he would have dreamed or a way that he would have imagined. He's going as a prisoner. 
He had this dream in the core of his soul. One day I will stand before the Romans and proclaim the good news of the gospel, as he says in Romans chapter 1. But how many of you know that sometimes God gives you a dream, but the, but the way that it takes place and the destinations along the way don't quite look like what you think they would look like? Yeah, I'll, I'll take the chuckle as you can relate, right? That, that is the Apostle Paul's story. He dreams of preaching in Rome, and indeed, God will fulfill that dream and that calling to him, but it doesn't look anything like what he thinks it will look like. And we're going to join him on this ship this morning as he's a prisoner traveling towards Malta where the chapter will end. And it's going to be met with some tumultuous seas. Acts chapter 27, we're going to start in verse 9. If you have a Bible, please turn there with me. He's begun this journey. He's left Caesarea. And we pick up Acts chapter 27, verse 9, reads like this. Since much time had passed... And the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over. That's, um, that's the day of atonement, the fast of the Jewish people. Paul advised them saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss. Not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul had said. Verse 12. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there. Now, if you have your own Bible, circle the word majority. They're going to make a decision based on a majority vote. May I propose to you, never a good way to make a decision. It typically leads to where they're going to find themselves. And on the chance that somehow they could reach the Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Verse 13. And when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor. So they took the anchor up and they sailed along Crete close to the shore. Now what's going to happen next is Paul and his traveling companions are going to encounter a storm. And what leads up to that encounter with the storm, I think, is fascinating. And you and I, we're going to find ourselves in storms at some point in life. And I think what precedes them will happen in most of our lives. Sometimes it's just going to be nature. The fact that we live in a fallen world means that there will be storms in life. It just happens. It's not of our own doing. It's not our own bad decisions. It's not God punishing us. It's simply the fact that we live in a fallen world. Sometimes you get a call from a doctor that just isn't what you'd hoped to get. It's part of living in a fallen world. But if you look closer, I think there's some things also that we'll see start to come to the surface. And there are things you may or may not be able to relate to that lead us into storms also. One, Paul steps up and says, hey, 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 we probably shouldn't do this. And the other sailors, the centurion, they completely ignore him. You may have walked into some storms in life where people surrounded you in love and said, wouldn't do that. Wouldn't, wouldn't go there if I were you. And part of what leads us there is this prideful arrogance. I know it's happened to other people. I know there's a graveyard of ships waiting right along this bend of people that tried to do this pass at the same time I'm trying to do it. But we're bigger, we're better, we won't get caught. It's not going to happen to us. The other thing you see is in verse 13, it says, A south wind starts to blow gently. So there's this calm and what nature seems to suggest is this would be a good time to go. 
Even though in their head they know, I shouldn't do that, we shouldn't go there, there's a graveyard of ships waiting who have tried the exact same thing. And what they do is they look at all their surroundings around them and go, well, it seems like God's in this. Even though it's ridiculous and it's crazy, let's go for it. And they're deceived into taking a journey they never should have taken. Look what happens, verse 14. It says, but soon a tempestuous wind called a northeaster, and in all my study this week, what I found out is you just, you don't want to be caught in one. Quite the storm, okay? Struck down from the land, and when the ship caught, was caught, it could not face the wind, and Luke writes, we gave way to it, and were driven along. Now, if you've ever been in one of life's storms, either a storm that just came naturally or a storm of your own making, my guess is you can relate to some of the things that Dr. Luke records for us about this storm. One, it came out of nowhere. Came out of nowhere. Two, it caught them. It got its claws into them in such a way that they just couldn't get out. Rowing harder, working, trying, putting a different sail up, nothing would work. And third, it says that they were driven along. You ever been in a storm like that in life? That just drove you along. You couldn't stop it. You couldn't sink anchor and make the boat pause for just a moment. There was nothing you could do. That's where the Apostle Paul and his friend find themselves. At the mercy of the storm. You know what the beautiful thing is about this passage, though? The storm isn't the end of the story. And I, I don't know if you, you, that's a word for you this morning, but, but I just want to tell you, whatever storm you're walking through right now, the storm is not the end of the story. For the follower of Jesus, the storm is never the end of the story. In fact, I've sat in my office across from people that I've just, I've heard say crazy things. I've heard people say things to me like, cancer was the best thing that happened to me. Now, Before I I started to really interact with people and ask better questions, I used to just write people like that off and say they're crazy, fanatical Christians who use Christianity so they don't have to live in the real world. Anybody, let's just be honest. Anybody, you heard somebody say something like that and you go, "They're they're just crazy. And Kelly and I walked through a difficult season in our marriage. And there were days where we wondered, are we going to make it in this? And I can look back at that now, that, that experience 10 years ago, and go, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I wouldn't repeat it for anything, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. Because God, you are present, and God, you are at work, and God, our marriage is stronger because of it. And I'd like to propose to you that people who say things like that aren't just like crazy, fanatical, don't want to live in the real world type of followers of Jesus, but they're people who have sensed God's goodness and provision and carrying in the midst of the storm. They've seen the good shepherd's hand at work. In fact, the scriptures promise us that this is true. James, in the first chapter of James, writes this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Anyone got that one nailed? I mean, none of us go, yeah, trial. But but I, I also don't think that's necessarily what joy is. I think joy is a sure confidence that God is good and at work. That's what it is. 
And so he says, for you know that the testing of your faith, which is what a trial does, the testing of your faith produces something in you. It produces a steadfastness. And he said, so let that steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. What I'd like to propose to you that we learn from this passage this morning is this, that the things that shake us most severely in life are often the exact same things that shape us most significantly. The things that grab a hold of us and shake us, those experiences that we wouldn't want to repeat, that we wouldn't want to redo, that we wouldn't want to walk through again, those are the things, those storms in life are often the things that God uses to shape and to mold his people more and more into the image of Jesus. So here's the deal. Will you look up at me for just a second? I'm not interested in you surviving the storm. You can do that without Jesus. You know that, right? Everybody walks through storms. You can survive the storm without Jesus. What I'm interested in teaching us this morning is how does somebody in all honesty say, cancer is the best thing that happened to me? How does somebody in all honesty say, the time that we almost lost our marriage was the best thing for our marriage and God shaped us and formed us on a foundation through that, that I am absolutely 100% grateful? How do the Situations and storms in life that shake us most severely, shape us most significantly. I don't want to teach you how to survive the storm. I want to teach you how to be a stormtrooper. First and only Star Wars reference you will ever hear from this pulpit from me. Promise. Promise. I will never do that to you again. But I do. I want to teach you and us and me gather around this passage to say, Lord, how does that happen? in the storms of life. Here's the way the passage continues, verse 16. Running under the lee of a small island called Kada, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. So this is a, um, a lifeboat that's off to the side. And after hoisting it up, they used supporters to undergird the ship. Then fearing that they would run aground on the citrus, they lowered the gear and thus were driven along. Now, the citrus was this area along the coast of Crete that was known for being a ship graveyard. Since they were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. So here's what starts to happen. The storm comes, the storm rages, the questions by professional sailors are, are we going to make it through this? Are we going to live? Are we going to survive? Is the boat going to sink? These are all the questions, right? And the answer in response to the question is looking around at the things they have taken with them and throwing them overboard. Do you know, when, when you walk through a storm in life, you start to see the things around you differently, don't you? You start to see the things that at the onset of the journey seemed like they were necessary, but when the storm comes, they become trivial. Some of the things that we invest our life in, some of the things we invest our time in, some of the things we invest our money in, one call from the doctor can change the way you see those things, can't they? They can. The things that we thought at the onset were essential become trivial. And here's what the storms of life do. They purify our priorities. 
we start to look at everything around us differently. And the things that really matter are the things we can't throw overboard and everything else is fair game, isn't it? Like, all right, like just one phone call from the doctor makes you hug your kids a little bit tighter, doesn't it? Even you watch a movie that stirs something in you and you go pray at your kid's bedside a little bit harder. I don't know, that's just, that's just me. That's just me. We were in California in 2008 and the housing market, the bottom just fell out of it. And people that were living in million dollar homes saw them foreclosed on and sold for a fraction of what they bought them for. And to a person, every single one of my friends that found themselves in that experience would say, you know what, we we lost what we thought was everything, but it turns out it wasn't really anything. It was just a home that we lived in. And there's things that are more important to us. It happens in our physical life. It happens spiritually too, doesn't it? After um, 9-11 and the World Trade uh, Towers fell, church attendance rocketed, shot up 25% the next Sunday. And it kept it up for, well, about a month. But people were shaken to this place of going, all right, what's really important in my life? What's really important in my life? Will you look up at me for just a second? You don't have to wait for the storms to come to evaluate what's really important. You don't. And you don't have to wait for the storms of life to craft and to build your life around those things. Friends, our actions always reveal our affections. They always do. The things we make time for are the things that are most important to us. And some of us, I propose, myself included, need to do a little bit of deck clearing. To just say, why am I I pouring time and energy and resources and money into things that, that don't matter? Why do, when I walk in my door, just an honest confession with you, when I walk in my door after a day at work, why is the first thing I do is check my email and immediately ignore the things that I say are most important? I'm just confessing, I've got to do some deck clearing, man. I've got to. Maybe you do too. I read this study recently where they said that they studied the way that food tasted to people. People that were distracted and watching TV and people that were just sitting and eating. And they were somehow able to isolate that if we distract ourselves while we eat, our food doesn't taste quite as good. Amazing. So the big takeaway this morning is don't eat while you, or don't watch TV while you eat, right? Um, But I think it's a bigger principle, a bigger picture that the more we distract ourselves and the more things we have that matter to us, the less actually really does matter to us. If everything's important, nothing is. Everything's important, nothing is. And our, our, our propensity to just do more, 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 more and think that's better is absolutely from the pit of hell. And one of the things that God in his grace and mercy reveals to us through the storm is you have a lot of things on deck that you could do without. Toss them overboard. Toss them. Get rid of them. Cut ties with them. Whether you're in the storm or not. May God purify our priorities to lead us to his joy and his goodness. Here's the way the story, the passage continues, verse 20. It says, When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay 
on us. It's a huge storm. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. So they're like, we give up. We're done. Professional sailors tossing in the towel saying, we're going to die out here. And here's one of the reasons why. For us, the sun and the stars are a nice addition. They're beautiful. We get 300 300 days of sunshine a year. Here, praise be to God. The stars, isn't it wonderful to go outside and look up at the stars at night and go, God, aren't you? You're glorious. You're beautiful. You're grand. And they're a beautiful part of creation for us. But for the people on that boat, it was their map. It wasn't just a nice addition to their life. If they didn't have the stars and the sun, they had no clue where they were going. They were lost. They were lost. And so what we see is not only do storms purify our priorities, but they also help determine our direction. They help determine our direction. Notice, if you will, that as the skies grow darker, And as the clouds come in and the fog grows and they have no clue where they are, as the skies grow darker, their ears grow more and more open to the goodness of the gospel. Listen to the way that Paul capitalizes on this situation. Verse 21. It says, And since they had been without food for a long time. So this sense, it's saying sense, ties us directly back into, all right, in light of the tempest and the storm that they find themselves in, Paul is going to start to preach. He's going to start to preach because sometimes we don't know that Jesus is all we need unless he's all we have. Listen to what he says. He stood among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me. Now, just a quick time out. I want to propose that if you're a lady in this congregation this morning and thinking about getting a tattoo of a verse on your body, may I propose Acts chapter 27, verse 21. Men, you should have listened to me. Just saying. No wives elbow your husbands. Kelly is sitting in the front row, so she can't elbow me. But, men, you should have listened to me. And not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. I believe that the message version says, I told you so. Yet now I urge you, take heart. So he goes, this is the moment that everything that you think you built your life on is vanishing before your eyes. Take heart. There will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Verse 23. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and to whom I worship. And he said to me, don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted to you and to all those who sail with you. Verse 25, so take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have told. Wow. Wow. Sometimes it takes, doesn't it? Sometimes it takes the storms of life coming in and blinding us to the point where we say, all right, God, I can't, I can't trust in myself anymore because I have no clue. I am not sufficient in and of myself. I am often a distracted person. I'm often just confident in my own self and I am numb to the reality that all the while you're going, will you follow me? Will you chase after me? And yet my own map seems to serve me pretty well. But it's those times in life, the storms of life where the rug is ripped out from underneath us where we're finally open. God, where are you leading? 
because I have no other options. God, where do you want me to go? Because I I don't get it. I don't have a plan B for what I just heard. I love the way that the great songwriter and poet Rich Mullins puts it when he says this. "I, I don't know where you're leading me unless you've led me here where I'm lost enough to let myself be led. I don't know about you, but for me, it takes a lot for me to release my hands off of the reins of my life. And I think what people who say as they walk out the other side of a storm, I think the woman who sat across from me in in my office and said, cancer's the best thing that happened to me. I think what she's saying, I think what he's saying is, I reprioritize my life around the things that are really important And I'm allowing God now to determine my direction. I am aware that at any moment he could take my life from me. And so why not let him have it? We live under the illusion of control so much of our lives. But I think what we see in the midst of the storm is, God, you're the only one who's in control. And help us craft and shape and mold our lives around you, not a lot around our own striving and our own achievement. I love the way that the psalmist writes it when he says this, your word, O God, is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So when all the worldly wisdom says, hold on to bitterness, we'll be people who forgive. And when all the worldly wisdom says, hate those who hate you, we're going to love for and pray for our enemies. And when the day looks dark, and as they say, we've given up all hope, we're going to continue to walk with and continue to be faithful because he is our guide. And in every season of life, he's good. Every season of life, he's good. There's this really interesting verse. In 22, we read it already. It's in Paul's speech to these sailors. But listen to what he says. He says, Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, only loss of the ship. Now, good news or bad news? It all depends on whether or not you can swim. Right? I mean, yeah, I mean, the sailors look at each other and go, praise God, right? And Billy, can you swim? No, I can't. but there's a promise in here. Either we're going to learn how to swim or we're going to crash really close to the shore, right? Which is actually what happens. There's people that grab onto parts of the boat and paddle in. But, but I can imagine them looking at each other like, I don't know if I'm supposed to celebrate that or lament that, but I'm with you in it, Paul. I'm with you in it. Can I just say to you, if our hope is in the boat, it's always going to let us down. If our hope is in the boat, it's always going to let us down. And storms of life will always draw out where our feet stand. Always do. And if our hope is in the boat, if it's in anything other than God, it will reveal that. The storm will reveal that. And God, by his grace and because of his love, is going to slowly, gently take away the things we rely on and point us to the only thing that we can trust in. And so they feel the ground underneath their feet start to erode. Here's what the storms teach us. The storms stir in us. They they fix our foundation. 
they not only change it, as in they fix it from being built on something that's incorrect or something that's wrong, something that's unworthy, but they storms fix our foundation. They plant our foundation firmly on the only thing who will last through the storms. See, the boats that we often cling on to are safety and protection, clean bill of health. The boats are things that we can trust in, things that carry us along, things that make life worth living. They may be a paycheck or a bank account, but inevitably those boats are going to get a hole in them someday. They are. It's just a matter of time. And so people who can in all honesty say, storm or the trial was the best thing that ever happened to me, I think they're people that are saying, we cleared the deck we reprioritize life in such a way that the things that are most important to us get the most time from us. There are people that have said, back to God, God, I don't know where you're leading unless you've led me here, or I'm lost enough to let myself be led. Where are you leading? Where are you going? I'm with you. I've got nothing else to cling on to. And there are people that say, we've built our lives on a lot of things other than Jesus, but what the storm revealed is that you're the only thing that will stand. At the end of his beautiful sermon, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says to his listeners this. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and they beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. You know, in Jesus' parable here, there's really two constants. One, in both of the stories, the storm comes. And it will for every single one of us. There's not one person sitting in this room whom is exempt from the storms of life coming. Either by our own bad decisions or by the world that we live in, in a fallen world where it's sin permeated. It's just part of being alive. That's one constant in the story. The other constant in the story is that everybody's building a house. Everybody's constructing a life. That's not a question for anyone in here. The question is not, are we building a life? The question is, are we building a life that will stand when the storms of life come? And the thing that determines whether or not the house stands is simply where it finds its foundation. May I I propose to you and to us that we don't need to wait until the storms of life to reveal where we build We don't need to wait for the storms of life to tell us we're building on something that will not last. It's simply a question of what's most valuable to me? What do I love? And what if it were taken away from me? Would I be absolutely devastated to lose? Part of the beauty and the power of the storms of life is they give a new foundation for our feet to stand on and they give a new home for our heart to abide in. That's what they do. When the boat disappears, we have this beautiful opportunity to renew our trust in the God who won't, 
to rely on his presence in ways that we previously hadn't and to trust in him as the God who will deliver us as we've sung already this morning, safe to shore. The people that can say, cancer is the best thing that ever happened to me. Or the trial in the marriage that we walked through and almost didn't make it through is, is the thing that we build on today. Our people who walk through storms, they don't just survive storms, they thrive in the midst of them by saying, listen, there's some things on the deck we've just got to clear off and we've got to prioritize in light of who God is and in light of what God's done. They're people who say, let the storm reveal the fact that, God, I'm not following after you. And really, I'm trusting in my own wisdom and worldly wisdom, but not in the guiding and mercy of Jesus and him alone. And they're people that say, God, you've taken away the boat, but my hope is not in the boat. It's in you and in you alone. I'd like to propose to you two things as we close. One of them is simply this, that Jesus has already conquered the biggest storm you will ever face. And in two Sundays, we're going to celebrate Easter where Jesus walks out of the grave and the check clears, paid in full. By faith, you stand in his grace and his righteousness and his mercy, and you stand before the throne of God, pure, holy, spotless, and blameless. It is the biggest storm you'll ever face. And he's already calmed it by his very words. They're with me. They're with me. They're under my blood. I have paid it all. And the second thing in closing I'd like to propose to you is this. That God will not always protect you from the storms. If you ever hear somebody say that he will, they're simply lying to you. How do I know that? Just look at scripture. God will not always protect you from the storm, but he will always produce something beautiful in you through it. If you'll run back to him and say, God, I believe that you're good and I believe that you're at work. How do I follow you even in this? I don't know what you're walking through this morning. But I do know that what the enemy wants to use for evil, God designed to use for good. And that some of the ways that he does that is he allows us to see what's really important. What's really important. And he allows us to wrestle with this what's guiding my life question. How do I make my decisions? And finally, sometimes he'll take the boat away. To reveal where we stand. And to fix it firmly on him the author and the perfecter of our faith. Closing, I'd just like to pray over you. Eugene Peterson's message version of James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4. He says this, would you open your palms and just raise them to the sky like this? Just symbolic of God... We believe you're in the storm. We believe you're working in the storm. And whatever you want to take from us and whatever you want us to receive from you, we're open. So consider it sheer gift, my friends. When the tests and challenges come at you from all sides. Know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and it shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of any situation prematurely. 
Let it, let the storm do its work in you so that you may become mature, well-developed, and not lacking in anything. And Jesus, that is our prayer this morning. That we would be mature followers of Jesus. And Lord, as hard as it is to pray, we invite you, would you use even the storms of life to make us and mold us more into the image of Jesus? Lord, we're all going to walk through storms. We're all going to walk through trials. The question isn't whether we'll walk through them and survive them. The question is whether you'll work something in us that produces joy everlasting as we walk. That's our longing. That's our longing. So if our priorities are jacked up, Lord, would you show us that, please? And would you let us clear, help us clear, give us vision to clear the deck? What are the things we need to throw overboard? And Jesus, if we've lost our way, may we admit to being lost enough to let ourselves be led. And if there's things that we're trusting in other than you, may they sink beneath our feet. And may we reaffirm our trust in the only thing that will stand the test of time and all of eternity. And that is the very work and blood of King Jesus. God, we know you're not going to protect us from every storm of life. But we also believe and we also trust that you're going to produce fruit in us through the storms as we walk with you. You're that big and you're that good. And so we'll trust in you with everything we have. It's in your beautiful, powerful name that we pray. Amen. This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.